Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standick Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Hope everyone is doing well. It is week one of the NFL season. Kickoff tonight, Rams, or Bills, Rams, I should say. Uh, it is that time of year. I, I know I, for one, am ready for some football, uh, Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> um, um and we're going to discuss a lot of that today. Obviously, the Commanders host the Jags in week one at FedEx Field. To get us going with that, we've got two guests today. First off, you know, we're going to sort of pin the one person on the Commanders that we're all going to be fascinated to see in this opener. It would be quarterback Carson Wentz. I had a chance to talk to Carson the other day, have a story up on The Athletic today about that and I'm going to play you guys some of that conversation. We didn't do it. We, we didn't speak in podcast style. It was just sort of a, a, a reporter to player interview. But I'm going to play for you guys some of the Q&A back and forth with us. So it's a little bit of a casual conversation, but gets into uh, some of the things that we touched on in the article um, coming to the, his third team in three years, dealing with some of that adversity. But really, it's mostly just to get to know um, this guy who's done a lot of good things in, in the community, uh, in the various cities he's lived in, in his home state of North Dakota from, from a charitable, charitable perspective, um, and just guy who's trying to still figure it out, try to, trying to figure out how to, how to get better at his craft and live out the dream that he had as a kid. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation talking to Carson so you can go read the full story on the athletic and I'll play up some of that here in a few moments. In addition, Steve Wino from the Associated Press, who is a actual Jacksonville Jaguars fan, he and I spoke yesterday on Wednesday about uh, that game and the vibe of this team heading into uh, week one. So we'll get to all that in a moment. In addition, I'll, I'll give you some updates here from practice. Um, of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast iTunes or Spotify or wherever you do your podcasting. And look, if you haven't subscribed yet to the commanders or to the athletic, I should say, sorry, to the athletic, look, I, I'm not ever going to tell somebody how to spend their money, but it is a dollar a month for six months to join. And right now is a great time to do it. The season's about to start. Obviously um, it's not just getting the commanders coverage. You get everything we have in the athletic, all the NFL, all the NBA, um, baseball. If you're into uh, the EPL, we have that. So tons to get into. Just go click on Mike Wentz article or my my NFL agent survey. One of these kinds of articles, one of mine, and you get you can get the athletic for a dollar a month for six months. All right. Um, before I'm going to go quick here with some news and notes, and then we'll get to Wentz and my conversation with Steve Wino in terms of practice today. So Thursday. So we're getting some injury reports, and two days in a row, Cam Curl has been. A DNP. Um, the positive news, I believe, is that today he did not have a cast, a full-blown cast on his right ham to help protect that injured thumb that he had surgery on recently. Um, he's now, he had like a, a decent sized bandage, I guess, but the cast was removed. So that's perhaps a good sign towards him being able to play and just sort of watching him um, in the locker room today, you know, he seemed to be able to do a little bit more with his hand than he had the other day. That may just be the function of not having a cast on, but nonetheless, um, 
that's what's going on there. So we'll get a sense tomorrow. I mean, it's possible he's a game time decision. If he doesn't practice on Friday, though, realistically, you would imagine um, he doesn't play. So we'll get, we'll see tomorrow on that. He's the only one that feels like is truly, um, well, I shouldn't say truly in doubt. Logan Thomas has been a limited participant the last couple of days. He's continued to do a little bit more. We'll see, though. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't done a ton overall since he was activated off the pup list. So, you know, the fact that John Bates is a full participant, Armani Rogers has obviously been healthy. Cole Turner has been limited. So at a minimum, you have Bates and you have Rogers. We'll see on, on Logan Thomas again. At least he's been available in practice. We'll see about the next step. Cam Sims limited the last two days. He's been dealing with a concussion, but that's a st- even just being limited is a step up from where he was uh, last week. And Cole Turner, as I said, limited full participants. Trey Turner, full participant today, along with John Bates and Fedarian Mathis, who had an ankle injury. Good sign there. Speaking of Trey Turner, the unofficial depth chart came out the other day, and it had Trey Turner at right guard over Wes Schweitzer. Now, that's been the standard all summer. I would kind of think that Schweitzer starts. Uh, he's been the one working with the ones pretty much throughout camp, other than when he had an injury for a little bit. So I would think that's going to happen, but that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Dax Milne looks like he'll be the returner, but they obviously could sprinkle others in. Antonio Gibson said he would still like to do some kick returns. So we'll see about that. Obviously Gibson's role will be a little more substantial at running back with the Brian Robinson uh, situation. By the way, Robinson off crutches. He was in the locker room yesterday walking around, so good sign there. But he's obviously out at least four weeks and being on the um, non-football injury list. So we'll see when he is uh, back. Steve and I talk a lot about Trevor Lawrence and the matchup here, so we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, but right now, let's get to my conversation with Carson Wentz. We started talking about the journey that he's had to overcome as a kid from a small state Um we discussed a lot about that, and plus, obviously, there's been a lot going on with him over the last couple of years, and how we sort of navigated that. So let's get to it right now, Carson Wentz, and then we'll get to my conversation with Steve Wino here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Is it wild that you're able to do this? Like, when you look back, I don't know what age you started playing football, but whatever age that was, yeah. that it's gotten here, that you're able to do these things? It is, it is. I mean, sometimes I still pinch myself that I'm in year seven of playing in the National Football League. You know, I think a lot of times it can be, it can go so fast and it can be a lot of highs and lows and a lot of different things. But then sometimes I remind myself, shoot, I'm a kid from North Dakota that dreamt of being here. And yeah. here I am still playing this game and also able to help and give back and do some different things that you only dream of doing, you know. And so it is definitely humbling and, and also really cool to kind of have those moments of reflection to say, man, this is cool. Um, God's done some really cool things in my life and allowed um, to work through my life and other people's life too, which has been, uh, yeah, it's really fun. I always think that's one of the interesting things about the jobs that you have, uh, this thing of being out in front, everybody's watching, you're obviously at the most important position, and how we all talk about you guys in various ways, and yet this is your actual life and you're the one living it, and are you able to process like, wow, this is freaking cool, like this is like an actual thing that's happening. Yeah, no, it's obviously it's a challenge. You get caught up in it as much as anybody, you know, especially when you go through things, you go through injuries. Obviously, I feel like I've in six years gone through a whole lot of things, good, bad, ugly, you name it. And um, 
yeah, it's easy to take it for granted. It's easy to, you know, let it harden you or, you know, different things. But for me, um, I feel like it's given me a sense of purpose and a different perspective going through it and also having kids and just having a different perspective of why I do what I do and allow me to just enjoy it, you know, enjoy it for God willing as long as I can and um, hopefully hopefully make a big difference in the wins and loss columns, but also, you know, off the field as well. Um, we just talked to Ron, obviously, a few minutes ago, and he was asked about just what he kind of maybe learned about you in the time you've been together. And he said that he had heard that you were resilient, but he's watched it uh, now on a, on a day-to-day basis in terms of that aspect of going through all this and yeah. the, the highs and the lows. Was was if you if you believe as well that you that you have that resiliency, is that something you always kind of had, or was going through this process, especially maybe the last couple of years, something that's kind of built? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think for one, resilience is learned. You don't just necessarily have it, yeah. um, per se. You have to go through something in order to... But I feel like even as long as I can remember, I've always felt like I was this underdog kind of kid from North Dakota. Like, you just, you don't hear of people making it from, from there. And I remember I was 5'8 when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, and I was just praying, God, help me be six feet tall, you know? Yeah. And, and so, like, I've always just had this kind of felt like my back was up against the wall type of, I gotta prove people wrong, which I think is, um, Oh yeah, you get. I think that's that's how I was as a kid. Uh, I was trying to prove and, and earn and do all this, and so I think that kind of naturally built up some resiliency in, in who I was and as as a person. My older brother was three years older than me and was a really good athlete and was like I was always referred to as Zach's brother. So I think there's this level of resiliency that was wired in me from I was in first grade playing outside with my brother and his friends. You know what I mean? So yeah. all those things kind of just add to my character development over the years uh, that I think help. And then obviously going through injuries and bench traded, traded again, different things. I mean, it, it gives you a new perspective and allows you to um, just kind of sometimes laugh and smile and just go on and keep making the most of, of the next opportunity. That's all you can do sometimes. That, that underdog mindset. So I was thinking like, there's there's multiple types of quarterback, but in some level there's the aggressive quarterback, and then there's the supposed game manager types, which we've had around here uh, previous years. Um, you feel like you're it seems like you're more on that aggressive side. Uh, is that part of the like sometimes when you're the younger brother, like you want to feel like I gotta like push forward to like to keep up? Is, is, did it sort of develop from that That's underdog? A good question, honestly. Um... I don't know where it comes from. Uh, you know, I think it's it's something you're always trying to learn and balance. Um, I think I, I can look at game film of every game I've ever played, and it's like, man, I could have been more aggressive there, and I maybe should have ate that one. You know, and something you're always trying to balance. But you could argue maybe stuff like that. If it hasn't been hardwired, maybe the people I watched growing up. I was a big Brett Favre fan, so like I'd go outside like thinking I wanted to be like Brett. You know, uh, so those, you and Taylor have something those, to talk about. Those types of things, uh, which is funny because I was a or I was a Vikings fan growing up in North Dakota, but I just loved watching Brett play, uh, which is very conflicting watching them play each other. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think combination of those things and just being an aggressive mindset person, being a Type A person that just in all the sports I played, all the things I've ever done, I'm just like full speed ahead type. Maybe that's part of it, but um, there's 100% of the time and place to be 
effective, be a game manager, and then you got to know when's when's the right time to strike when when the iron's hot. And, um, hopefully, you can toe that line perfectly. So I know you're a golfer. Does that translate out there too? Like, you know, the, 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 the supposed caddies saying, like, hey, maybe yeah. lay up. You're like, nah, screw it. Know. We're going for it. I don't know. And I'm still learning that that aspect of golf. The first year, so I got into golf about a year ago, just over a year ago. And I mean, I was always going for everything, and I've had to learn how to how to toe that line a little bit. But um, yeah, it's you never know. You never know on the, each given day when you're going to be a little more on the aggressive side or maybe a little more smart. So we'll see. Well, and that's always interesting. I, I, I find that the, the notion of instincts is interesting. I used to cover the NBA a lot, and you'd yeah. see guys who have that passing instinct, the, the, the Chris Pauls, the Larry Birds, whatever, and like LeBron, and like they really can see the court and know where to mm-hmm. go. And other guys have clearly no, no, no sense of fundamentals at all and have no idea where, where to go. And I used to ask, like, can you learn instincts, or is it something that's innate? And I know the other day you mentioned um, that like sort of instincts maybe took over on, on that on that one play, but as you go, you know, you're, you're learning to play quarterback over in the moment. Like, yeah. is that something that can be tweaked? It, it, I always think it can be. It can be with with the mindset going into certain plays, but like the true deep down instincts, those are hard to. Right. Um, I think those can also be learned. Um, in, but that comes from experience. And so lots of people don't get that experience or are fortunate enough to, to play long enough or, or have those things. But um, I think as you get older and um, your mindset changes and your approach changes and maybe you're a little smarter, a little more mature, you process faster, different things, I think those instincts can be better. Um, but at the end of the day, when your back's against the wall, the true instincts that are going to come out, that fight or flight instinct um, is going to come out of a lot of guys uh, when you're really squeezed or in that pressure situation. So um, hopefully the instincts are good in those moments. Well, where do you think you're on on that line of that fight or flight thing? I mean, I'm definitely on the aggressive side. I know that. And so I'm, my mindset is, especially when plays break down or there's a broken play, I've played long enough to know there's huge plays to be made. There's always like, there's touchdowns out there on in my mind. I think every play, um, which is not always true. So I'm always that's where I start there, and I got okay. Sometimes reel myself back in and say, yeah. when play breaks down, a is there a big play, and then quickly you know there's not. Check that off the box. Is there a completion to be found at all? No. Protect the ball. Protect yourself. You know those are the kind of things that you got to go down that list real quick in the heat of a moment. But um, I think I've continually grown in those areas but also there's again i can turn on the game film the same thing applies man i missed that one i wish i was more aggressive and hey, i should have ate that one that's going to be every game and sort of to that end of like instincts and learning so you've been obviously we're in the same system for several years in a row and now it's a different system how does that change because you have to you know we always say you have to learn this new thing yeah but does does it almost like did it somewhat maybe open your mind up a little bit more your football mind because it is different and as opposed to the other one where you kind of already knew what to expect i yeah i would say yeah i would say i've definitely learned a lot um not a completely different perspective per se but just different trains of thought different schools of thought different opinions even within Maybe that might look like the same exact play I've ran over the years, but hey, we're going to read it this way, or we're going to start here and do this. And, um, yeah, I think it has opened my mind to, to different things. There's a lot of crossover and carryover too, um, but then it's also allowed for some really fun conversations with Coach Turner and, and Coach Sampese to be like, hey, this is how I've always seen this, and they'll say, well, this is how we've seen it, and like, here's what, here's our why, and I think it helps me kind of broaden my understanding of the game and understanding of what they want to do offensively. But 
um, yeah, I mean, there's always times I got to still retrain myself. Okay, that's not how we're seeing it or treating it like I have in my past because of X, Y, and Z. And so um, that's been fun, though, honestly. It's been fun that allow me to kind of see a, a bigger picture of scheme um, in a way and also just kind of see the game from a different perspective and a healthy perspective and kind of balance it all out. Is there an example of like something that's a difference uh, from what you would look at there versus here? I wouldn't say, you know, especially some in the red zone um, that I've been running for six years now. You know, same in Philly, but we're same with Coach Reich and Indy. And it's like, man, it's a very different read or a different way we're going to read it. And it's I've had a lot of success for doing it the other way, but like there's some tweaks and maybe our alignments or our splits or some things that it's like, okay, I can understand why we're going to read it differently. It's interesting, but this is what we're going to do, and I'm going to buy it. Um, I guess the sense I had is that with like Frank Reich, as a guy who was a former quarterback, he likes giving his quarterbacks sort of the freedom to kind of figure out what to do. Yeah. I know here, like like Case Ray is often calling the protection, so I presume that's a little bit different. Is that is it a little bit different in terms of how you're approaching going up to the line, and if so, what's good or bad? Or Maybe a little. I've never been the one to make the calls, so I think that's sometimes a common misconception. I think almost every NFL the, team, the protection calls or the the, the play calls. The protection calls, okay. excuse me, um, because everywhere I've ever been, the center makes that call. He always starts it, and then I can change it, override it, and um, that still is true here. So I think that's, and I've been fortunate enough to play with very intelligent centers, and they're usually getting it right. Jason Kelsey, Ryan Kelly, and now Chase. Um, all very intelligent centers that it's like I can trust their calls 90% of the time. There's always a time to flip it and change it and this and that. And so maybe there's a little difference there. Um, there's probably not as much changing at the line of scrimmage and different things that I've done in my past. Um, and sometimes that stuff just comes with over time anyway. And I haven't been in this playbook long, so it's pretty standard. I don't think I was changing many plays as a rookie in Philly either. Right. Um, and so there's elements of that that are different, um, I'd say, but also cool and, and unique. And, like, again, the plays are called in a way that, you know, you don't need to and, and all of that. So, again, it's opened my mind to kind of not a different style of football per se, but just different philosophies, I guess you could say. Yeah. Is it um... – I don't know if autonomy is the right word, but is there the same level you, the same level that you had there because it's, you had Frank who obviously knew you for some time, or is it a little bit different right now as you and Scott are kind of getting to know each other? Good question. Um, probably a little different. Um, again, it's, it's a philosophy, and so I think that was the philosophy in my past is like, hey, if you this, that, and we talk about it. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to change it to whatever I feel like sounds good at the time. It's like we talk through things. So that when we see a certain look or when a certain situation comes up. And so obviously we haven't fully game planned and gotten in, into that mode yet. So I'm sure that will come up plenty this year uh, with these guys. But it also hasn't been a point of emphasis maybe like it's been in my past. But again, that's just different philosophies. And um, I can totally see both sides of the argument. And it's been fun kind of seeing maybe the different the other side of it in a small way. But it's not like it's polar opposites on all right. That was uh, part of my conversation, as I said, with Carson Wentz. We spoke for about 20, 21 minutes. Um, so that was a, p- a portion there. You can take a more uh, detailed look 
at Carson Wentz. Go read my article on The Athletic in there. I get into a lot of Kurt Warner's thoughts, obviously the Hall of Fame quarterback. I played some of my interview with Kurt Warner earlier this year on the podcast, back in like May or June. You can find that on uh, in the in the archives of the podcast. Um, but got Kurt Warner's view of Carson Wentz. The two actually hooked up together uh, this year to work on some things as well. So uh, I think there's some inter- really interesting stuff there, plus some insight from people, uh, you know, sort of off the record uh, of Carson Wentz in other spots. So you can check all of that out there as well. In addition to his Carson Wentz's charitable work and kind of how that, how he attacks that charitable work is kind of reminiscent of how he attacks the football field uh, as well. So go check all that out. I really enjoyed the conversation and hopefully you guys did as well. And we'll like the article for sure. By the way, um, you know, it's obviously a pretty, pretty wacky that Carson Wentz is facing Jacksonville in week one. Um, he didn't he, he kind of said it's a it's a fun storyline. He said this yesterday to the reporters that it's a fun storyline. But for him, it's just week one. I imagine that is the case. But, you know, for the rest of us, it is something to note for sure. Speaking of week one, let's get to it. Uh, Steve Wino from the Associated Press at S.W.H.Y.N.O. on Twitter. Uh, we're going to we talk a lot about. Week one, what we've seen with the Commanders and get Steve's view of the Jaguars. So let's get to that right now here on the Standard Group Only Podcast. All right. Joining the podcast, as promised, he is, of course, a returning guest. I'm going to say he's the lead writer for the Associated Press and D.C. Sports. Basically right now. Nobody who's listening is going to argue otherwise. Um, And he's also covers the Washington Commanders and... Perhaps most notably, he's an honest-to-goodness Jacksonville Jaguars uh, fanatic. Here he is, the great Stephen Wino. Or, is this, is this you your, saying I'm sorry, yeah. Is, is this your moment? It's a, no, this is like your moment to shine. You get it's, it's the Week 1 podcast, and they're playing your team. Who has been terrible, which has been terrible for the last 11 years. I mean, you know, there's different levels of terrible, of course, right? You're, you're the Jacksonville Terrible. One winning level. season in... Ten years. Right. Yours is the wins and losses. Although I guess in fairness, yours is the wins and losses and you have various shenanigans because you had the Urban Meyer situation. Oh, last the Urban year. Meyer era was was ter- was tragic, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not, not not so great there. Um that said, these two teams will play Sunday at FedEx Field. We just got done talking to Ron Rivera and Carson Wentz. Um and you know I had a chance to talk to some of the players in the locker room. Uh we're here, we're not there. So let's just start with this end of things. I don't. Week one is so hard to predict, and these two teams are sort of. You could talk me into all. You know, I don't know what to expect from these guys. And Jacksonville is a completely different group because it's a new head coach. It's a, you erase. You get rid of the Urban Meyer toxic situation. They're not going to be the same team that only won three games last year. But Washington should still win this. Uh, what, what's your vibe? At this point, feeling about this game. Well, I mean, and look, the Commanders are a better team. Like, let's let's start with that. Like, they the t- Washington's been building up with Ron Rivera for three years for this reason, and now the Jaguars are starting over with Doug Peterson. And because the Urban Meyer year was a wasted year, it wasted a lot of draft picks and and, and moves in free agency, and so they're catching up in in certain ways. So it's still going to be a while before the Jaguars catch <laughs> up to this organization in kind of building that entire kind of. Stockpile of talent up because they wasted an entire year on it. 
That said, Doug Peterson is the adult in the room, too. He's a professional Super Bowl winning coach uh, who knows how to coach quarterbacks and, and, and I think helped Carson Wentz become a, a good starting NFL quarterback, at least before that knee injury in, in Philadelphia. And, and he discussed with us kind of the good times with Doug and some of the bad times with Doug in, in Philadelphia that they're going to be better. I mean, it's hard to be worse. They've, they've had the number one pick the last two years and they could go 0-17, I guess. But I don't, I don't see that happening. I think this is a team that's going to want to play for its head coach, which is a little different than, than last year with the Jaguars and Urban Meyer. And, and with that comes a certain level of unpredictability with some of the additions of Christian Kirk, obviously our old friend uh, Brandon Scherf here. Uh, and there's more talent on this roster, certainly, than even last year when they beat Carson Wentz in Week 17. <laughs> week 18, I guess. Yeah, right. We, the Week 18 thing still throws me. Um the Carson Wentz situation is so fascinating. It's almost like the NFL scheduling God said, hey, we're going to do a this is your life Carson Wentz. Because this, obviously week 18 last year, the Colts need to win to make the playoffs. Jacksonville's only won two games all year. And they win their third game that two day. Two turnovers for Carson Wentz. Yeah, yep. he, he was not good to say the least. Um, not only does he have to revisit that team. And he said today, I asked him about that today, and he said – yeah, it makes for a good story, but basically, I, you know, I'm, I'm that, not. That, that's what he has to say. Right, right. But then also, his former head coach, who was his essentially his offensive guru in Philadelphia, in Doug Peterson, is now the coach of the other team. So now it, it, it revisits his time in 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 Philly. So really, it's like connecting all the dots to, to the things that have people have been so uh, talking so much about him and and you know ever since the, the trade here in particular. So it really is wild of like you couldn't have picked. Even though Jacksonville's not a sexy opponent, you couldn't have picked a crazier situation to have that coach with this team against this quarterback. Yeah, and and, and that's why as much as you look at the schedule and think not a sexy opponent, Jaguars, opening day, season opener, all that sort of thing, it it is sexy because of of that reason. It's Carson Bowl 1, and there's four of them this year. You got the Jaguars game, two against the Eagles, one against the Colts. This is a Carson Wentz season, and, and look, the, the, the spotlight's on this guy. And, and he's not the only reason this team's going to win and lose this game or win and lose, make the playoffs, miss the playoffs, but the, the, just, the spotlight is justifiably on Carson Wentz. And it will be incredible to see kind of if Doug Peterson gets a defense, he's an offensive guy, but gets his defense kind of amped up to play Carson Wentz because he knows Carson better than almost anybody in the NFL, I think. I mean, Frank Reich a little bit too because he was with the Eagles staff and coached him last year in Indianapolis. But Doug Peterson is a guy who knows Carson Wentz, knows his his good, his bad, all of those things. So it's as much a test for Carson Wentz, and really to me, for Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, to actually have almost that chess match of figuring out what can he do to maximize Carson Wentz against the Carson Wentz whisperer and Doug Peterson? Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's, let's like pull out the like, you know, 30,000 foot view from the, like the NFL view of this game. What do you think is the more interesting quarterback in this game? Carson Wentz for all the reasons we've just discussed and everybody kind of knows how things went in Indy, et cetera, or Trevor Lawrence, who was the number one pick in the draft last year. And frankly, didn't look like the guy. I mean, look, Peyton Manning struggles a rookie. We get all that, but like, he didn't look like, the guy, and I, I'm just even talking to people around the league just generally this year. I don't think people are going, wow, I saw all the traits. It was more like, eh, I don't know. But then there's the Urban Meyer variable, a, a, a different coach, a more professional vibe, as you said. So from a league perspective, who do you think is the more interesting quarterback? I th- Probably Trevor Lawrence, because 
I do think it's Peyton Manning. I, I, I do think this is a he's going to struggle in his first year or two and, and bring it all together. And you can say all you want about he played ACC competition, not SEC competition, and this and that. But Trevor Lawrence was a considered a generational talent. I don't think he's Ryan Leaf. This is not a Ryan Leaf situation where yeah. he can't play in, in the NFL. He has all the tools. Now he has a real coach. He has wep- more weapons around him, arguably, with Christian Kirk. Uh, Travis Etienne is back from injury. James Robinson is going to play coming off the Achilles injury from last year. Uh, an offensive line with, with Brandon Sheriff and, and some, some questionable elements around that. But we're going to see what, what Trevor Lawrence can do. Carson Wentz is a little bit more of a known quantity, right? I mean, we, we, we saw what he could do in 2017 before the knee injury in, in leading the Eagles to, to one of the best records in, in the NFL at that stage. And we see kind of the good and bad last year, reinvigorating his career, uh, the interceptions the year before that in Philly, the mistakes against Jacksonville, but also the good things he can do. Trevor Lawrence is a little bit of the you kind of haven't opened the, the pack of cards yet. Yeah, you don't you don't know what you have. And I think that's what makes him a little bit more interesting. Carson Wentz is we know the range. And now that said, he could surprise one way or the other. I mean, if he throws three interceptions and is a nightmare or he throws four touchdowns and, and is great. There, there's certainly more variability that we could see there, but we kind of have a we have a, a bigger sample size on Carson Wentz, which is why Trevor Lawrence is, is more interesting, I think, from a national scale. Even though this game from a national scale is like on the Ocho, like this is this is <laughs> this is not this is you're not getting any this is not any headlines. This is a no pressure game for your wire service writer here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of uh, cards, I still have on my desk a pack of 1991. I think it's Fleer baseball cards. Uh, still sitting there, and I'm always like, is this the day I open it and see what's in there? But I don't think there's anything from that set that's like such a great one that I'm like, that the lottery ticket aspects, I'm kind of like, ah, I'll wait, but you know. The Schlesinger's cat thing, is this, this is the like, you don't, if you don't know what's in there, Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. cat situation where like, you don't know what's in there, it could be the greatest thing in the world, but if you don't look, you don't know. Something like something, <laughs> something like that. Um, okay, obviously, uh, let's talk a little bit about just kind of what's going on around here as I get ready for this game um cam curl not at practice today he also um hasn't does not practice i guess thursday and he was not monday either uh he has a thumb injury he had thumb surgery um who knows at this point whether he's going to play i mean it's kind of feeling like he probably won't uh you know i feel the opposite way i think he's oh play. you do i i think based on he mispracticed for a doctor's appointment today I am led to believe I think there's a better chance of him playing than if it was just he, he doesn't feel right. right. He, had, he had that cast on his hand the other day at, at practice on Monday. Even if you wrap it up and play, even if he's got to knock balls down, he can't catch it with that hand. Having him versus the replacement level, I guess Jeremy Reeves, Derek Forrest, go down the depth chart, I think Cam Cross playing this game. Well, so he said the other day that he needed the incision to heal. So to your point sure. of the doctor's appointment, that could be the deal. And, and we don't know the extent i mean rivera didn't even mention surgery today when we brought up because said he had a, a thumb issue right cam told us he had surgery so, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah i mean as long as he's telling us the truth yes right well i mean you know and i i, I had heard that as well so that was that was that was my kind of confirmation when the player uh says, says as much um needless to say you know i i was like doing a story of like who are the most indispensable players on the team now fortunately safety is a position that we think there's some depth we don't know for sure because Derek Forrest basically didn't play the defense as a rookie and Percy Butler is a rookie and Jeremy Reeves a fan favorite but like you know he's been on the cusp of the roster for several years so it's not like it's proven on the other hand they all look intriguing so this may be a position in which they could potentially get by without him if needed except for the fact 
that Cam Curls is, is an incredibly versatile talent and is one of those guys that, you know, is, is the chess piece that Jack Del Rio can use in a hundred different ways. So I don't know if he qualifies as top five most indispensable, but in terms of just value on the defense, uh, he's other than like John Allen, he, or, you know, and Montez Sweat, he might be that guy for me. And that's why, I, you know, any injury is important, but this one in particular, I think is going to be pretty crucial if he is able to go. Yeah, certainly. And, 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 yeah, Cam Carl's not a national name. He's not a guy who a lot of people around the league think as, oh, he's the, the, the playmaker, Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu sort of player. But he can do everything for this defense. And look, there's expectations on this defense again. They're lower than they were last year because obviously coming off, going from second in the league to what this defense did last year, not having Chase Young to start, this and that. But Cam Crow makes the pieces work. I mean, him, him playing back there makes Kendall Fuller better, makes it easier on Benjamin St. Juice. Like, there, there, there are things that, that he makes everything kind of work better. And when you're facing an offense, <clears throat> a Doug Peterson offense, and Trevor Lawrence, and a guy like Christian Kirk, uh, even Marvin Jones, a, a big receiver, there are enough matchup problems there, uh, Evan Ingram now, also on, on the Jaguars now, that... You're, you need someone back there to kind of run the show. And, and this is something that, that, that Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera have said. Cam Curl's communication has gotten better. He, he, he's Even being a young player in the league, he's that's that kind of runs that. Especially when you have a, a young linebacker in Cole Holcomb, who's still kind of a transition to that role too. Cam Curl being almost a center fielder for the defense and being able to kind of call the shots from, from the back, there's some value in that. Um. On the other side of the ball, Cam Sims was limited in practice. He's been dealing with a concussion, so we'll see how that goes going into the week. That's obviously another position where they have a lot of talent, at least in the you know in terms of the top the top shelf there. Uh, same at running back. Uh, Brian Robinson was actually in the locker room today for a bit. He's off crutches. He's obviously out at least the first four games, but perhaps this is a, a, a sign that he is getting you know he, he may be able to come back quickly once he's done. Um, Antonio Gibson, though, spoke today for the first time, basically kind of since there had been an evolution at that position. Uh, I was not in that scrum doing something else. Uh, you were. Um, what was your sense of Gibson's tone, mood, vibe, etc.? I mean, a lot of the conversation was about Brian Robinson. You could tell there, there was very much a lot of concern from, from his standpoint <clears throat> when he learned of, of the news of, of the shooting and all of that. When it came to kind of the football conversation... I think it was a little more uneasy about the just kind of where he is and the kick returning and the uncertainty. But he, he, he did mention that, that about the fumbling issue from last year, that in the first preseason game, he responded poorly, that, 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 that he didn't handle all of kind of the conversation and, and his struggles well in that game. He didn't handle well kind of bouncing back and then having that memory of the goldfish sort of thing that he needs to do. And, and, and Ron Rivera told us, we trust him. We're going to give him the ball. And I think that has to be told from Scott Turner and Ron Rivera to Antonio Gibson and say, like, this is this is it. Like, you're our guy now. And Ron Rivera left that a little open, a little wide open last week, talking about Brian Robinson's absence and said J.D. McKissick's a heck of a running back and this and that. But this is Antonio Gibson's job now. And he's been a little he's been reluctant to, to talk to us and, and maybe understandably. But I, I think as the starting running back for NFL team, it's almost like he needs to believe that himself again. And he was that for a while. 
Brian Robinson comes in, has a great training camp. It looks like he's going to lose his job. And, and now it's like you're almost seeing Antonio Gibson have to kind of grow back into this role because there's no other choice here, really. And unless you're going to make J.D. McKissick your feature back or, or go to a Jonathan Williams, this is Antonio Gibson's job until he loses it now. It was interesting to me to almost see him try to kind of get that through his own head and kind of come to grips with this is his job again and, and kind of go from maybe I'm the, the, the backup and the kick returner or punt returner to I'm a starting running back in the NFL right now after going through two years of transitioning from receiver in college to this. It's so weird if they had never drafted Brian Robinson and let's just say their backfield components were Gibson, McKissick, Jared Patterson, Jonathan Williams. I don't think anybody would be going, wow, that's a disaster. I mean, Gibson had a thousand yards, and 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 so it's been it's been weird. Like, I mean, look, obviously the fumbles are problematic, and Robinson looked good. And I've been talking for months that Robinson is the type of guy I think they wanted. And Rivera has sort of a, a, a set, said as much in recent days, and that's why I wonder if they try to stay with the offensive plan they had using Jonathan Williams, not necessarily more, but like, yeah, yeah. but, but it, it, you know, having Gibson sort of be the guy in space and let Williams, maybe it's fewer carries than they would have given Robinson, but be that guy. But that said, like, I feel like the, 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 the it's gone too far in the direction of like people saying, eh, acting like Gibson, <laughs> Gibson's like not good or bad. Like it's just, no. it's just they had somebody else and that's kind of just, how it went so yeah i mean i think i mean gibson's totally fine i'm just curious the usage will they run him with the same plays they did last year between the tackle stuff as much or is it all right let's just figure out ways to get him in the ball in space and we'll worry about uh, interior running in some other way yeah talk to me in week five about what, it, what it's going to look like then but i do think there's an adjustment factor there that you're not going to use jonathan williams i think jonathan williams and, and ron Rip brought this up more like the peyton barber short yardage sort of situational running i don't think it's going to be start of the game if it's going to be a this is not 52 times out of the eye formation like jay gruden joked about with it with adrian peterson but i don't think jonathan williams is your coming out as your starting running back if you're going to hand the ball off inside and tell somebody to run they're going to ask gibson to do those things now maybe is it two out of every three series instead of of three out of four or something like that yeah maybe that's a possibility but i, I do think antonio gibson will be more of a traditional running back than we expected two and a half weeks ago let's get to some predictions well what, i don't need what's a, the over under that, that, well, I, that, that's what i was wondering look, about looked that. that up i was gonna ask you what's the line is what three two and a half two and a half yeah i mean that is interesting i mean you said before that washington is the better team and it's can't really argue otherwise just based on what where, where we saw them last last year and washington has upgraded at quarterback but that said i do think the jacksonville like if you tell me jacksonville Independent of Washington, just comes out hot because they've dumped the that, the, the aforementioned toxic situation, and Trevor Lawrence takes some kind of a positive step this year that they could be easily a seven-win range team, similar to where these guys are. So the spread reflects as much. I do think there's way too much negative vibes on Carson Wentz. Now maybe I'm maybe this is the the Stockholm syndrome that we've been around him for 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 all this time. He's he seems like a pretty chill guy. We just talked to him a few minutes ago. Like I said, I have a story coming out on him, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe, and I've talked to the, our the various beat writers at the Athletic who've covered before, and they've all kind of warned me about you know expectations or things. But like, I just feel like people are acting like he's like this total bum, and, and you know, he's I, not a bum. No, no. I, I, I saw someone, some somebody had a ranking of all the quarterbacks and they had him like twenty eighth. I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, if you're only watching the end of last year, I I get it. Um, 
but that's what's, that's why I think the spread is probably where, where it is. I mean, I'm inclined to take the home team, especially under three. I, but I understand to a degree why I'm seeing a lot of people picking Jacksonville. No, I, 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 I'm taking the home team here, too. 24-21, uh, this is a, a good game for the offense. Antonio Gibson doesn't put the ball on the ground. You, maybe you see a, 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 if Logan Thomas plays kind of what Carson Wentz can do with tight ends, and if he doesn't, that's going to be more on, on, on John Bates, certainly, and, and maybe even Armani Rodgers in that, in that sense. But I, I think this ends up with the, the kicker that Jaguars have, James McCourt, missing a field goal late, like sort of like that Giants game last year where this team gets lucky and comes out with a win. I think a 24-21-ish, James McCourt misses from 45 on a chance to tie it sort of game. I, I think that's kind of what I'm expecting from, from two defenses that still need to kind of get their act together. I think I'm with you. Um, do, would you like to make a season prediction for re- record-wise? I, I had uh, Grant Paulson and Kevin Sheehan on the other day, and I, I think they were both in sort of the seven win range. Oh, no, no, I take it back. I think Grant had nine wins. And like I was a, a nine and eight guy. You know, it was more fun to be optimistic. The Brian Robinson variable, though, makes me want to go to eight. And I, because I do think he's an important piece, um, I'll stay nine to be optimistic. The schedule being what it is, it's really, boy, it, it's very favorable for this team. Injuries are always the unknown, and that, that's, we'll leave that alone. So I'll, I'll go nine and eight, starting off with them covering against Jacksonville. Would you, do you have a, a record in mind? Yeah, 10-7. and seven. I, I, Whoa, I, I, look. I do think this is a 10-7 and seven team. I, I look at the schedule. Uh, I, I think, and this is maybe more Scott Turner than anything else, I think he's he knows how to get something, get the best out of Carson Wentz. And if you can make him more of an Alex Smith, if that makes any sense, the, the kind of game manager type, the schedule is so bad, man. It is it is a brutally easy, easy schedule. Two games against the Giants late. I don't know what the Browns are going to be when Deshaun Watson's back, but the Falcons stink. The Texans stink. The Colts are mediocre. The Titans, the Colts are okay. The, the Titans are okay. The Jaguars should stink. The the Bears stink. There, there are, if they don't lose games they're supposed to win, if they win every game they're favored in, this is a 10 and 17. Wow. Okay. This is why you come to Steve Wino for optimism on all things. Uh, tell the folks where they can find you. You're a multimedia star. You've got things all over the place, different sports, different um, mediums. Where, where can people find uh, Steve Wino when they need a fix? Uh, Twitter, uh, S-Wino, S-W-H-Y-N-O. And find my work on APNews.com. Don't you have a podcast? I do. I have a hockey podcast with Carl Osner. Uh, All's Caps. Talking about the Washington Capitals and a book coming out in October. Uh, Odd Man in uh, Emergency Goalies in the Wildest One Day Job in Sports about emergency backup goalies. So that's on in Triumph Books on October 25th. See, this is what I'm saying. You're a multimedia star. Not would even get into your Wawa appearances and where people can find you next. Uh, Whatever next Wawa. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, Why not? Appreciate it, ma'am. Thanks. Thanks for talking to you. Guys.